The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am once again the namesake. Hard to believe that we're talking about high school football as the snow's flying. Hard to believe it's that time of the year already, but here we are. It's quarterfinal weekend in the West Virginia High School football playoffs. Some big, big, big time stuff happened last week. The Mid-Ohio Valley saw some area teams that were lost, saw some area teams that managed to stick around in the postseason. First, let's talk about those we lost. And first and foremost, the craziest loss is that of the Parkersburg South Patriots. Parkersburg South had a crazy game, an odd finish, and just a heartbreaking ending in their loss to Hedgesville. They lost 35-29 to to Hedgesville in a bad back and forth game that basically created emotional whiplash for anybody and everybody that managed to be watching. I'm going to go ahead and sum it up because I called that game and I've seen some online summaries of this game and not a one of them I think hits it on the nose as to exactly what happened in this football game. Parkersburg South went ahead 21 to nothing by early in the second quarter and that's by and large thanks to Nick Yoho in the rushing game. The Patriots scored three touchdowns, all of them from Yoho on the ground and they took a 21 nothing lead. And then with a chance to add to that lead later in the second and into the third quarter, these things happened. The Patriots had three drives that stalled as a result of various things. Two of them on turnovers, one on a turnover on downs. The turnover on downs stalled a drive inside the 30 after the Yoho score that made it 21-0. That drive began to back up because of penalties and some negative plays. Then on South's next drive, another drive that stalled inside the 30 ended on an interception thrown on fourth and long on a drive that was also backed up because of penalties. And then it was 21-0 at half. And so South comes out and gets the ball back to start the second half. And their initial drive in the second half ends on a turnover. And that is where things started to turn for Parkersburg South. Hedgesville scored on the ensuing drive and in quick succession on an 82-yard pass play from Hunter Coe to Niger Smith that made it 21-7. So all of a sudden you have a South team it's about to go up 28 nothing, and now it's a 14-point game. So there's a 14-point swing that happened there, and I firmly believe that if this was a 28 to nothing game, then that might be it for Hedgesville. That might be all she wrote. That might have been too insurmountable. South's confidence would have surged, and to see them have that clean drive that capped in a score in the second half at that point of the game may have been all the confidence they needed. That's not what happened. Hedgesville's quarterback, Hunter Coe, had an amazing second half. Coe was making his first start at quarterback. I guess Hedgesville had just showed him back there a little bit the end of their regular season finale. And boy, it makes you wonder why he's not the guy they've had all along. He had a laser of an arm, and he found receivers with precision, accuracy, and strength and sliced up a pretty good Parkersburg South defense and a pretty good secondary. After South's next drive stalled, Hedgesville scored again to make it a seven-point game. After South couldn't get anything going again, Hedgesville drove and scored to make it 21-21, and the game was all tied up early in the fourth quarter. Parkersburg South looked like they were going to move into the lead. They sent Ben Hot on to try a field goal, and Hot on a windy day missed it to the left. It was on the left hash. It stayed left. It stayed tied at 21 until about two minutes to play when Hedgesville scored again on a second touchdown pass to Malachi Brown. Malachi Brown ran for a touchdown, caught two from Hunter. Co. Niger Smith caught one, and then you'll hear how he got his second touchdown later on. 
Coe was doing Ben Roethlisberger-like things in the pocket, rolling the pocket, extending plays, and that was allowing Brown to get open in the second half. Brown is a defending Randy Moss Award winner as the state's best receiver. It was a very good receiver, but kept extending plays by getting behind the secondary, staying open, and next thing you know, he was open, Coe found him, and touchdowns happened. With two minutes left, South had their backs against the wall, and they tried to rally, and they got a good start to the rally. They had a kickoff return that took the ball to their own 47, good field position with about a minute 50 left in the game, things didn't look all that gloomy for South, but on either the first or the second play from scrimmage, South tried to find Levi Rice along the near sideline. That's when Levi Rice received the brunt of a hit from Hedgesville's Niger Smith. Rice left the game in an ambulance, was taken off the field, but a flag was thrown. Aaron Harmison was thrown out of the game for Hedgesville for a taunting penalty. There were two flags thrown in the play. One was a targeting call on the hit against Rice. The other was the taunting against Harmison that removed him from the game. He was ejected from the game. That means he'll have to sit out this week. So after a long stoppage to get Rice off the field, get him immobilized into an ambulance, South Drive continued. They picked up a first down on a big fourth in the season when Brayden Mooney found Brandon Penn at the one-yard line. And then with time ticking, with 19 seconds left, Nick Yoho plunged in for his fourth touchdown of the day, and that pulled South within one, and the decision came. Do you kick it and tie, or do you go for the win? As South thought, they went for two in the win. Braden Mooney stretched the ball after a penalty moved the try half the distance. Mooney came in on a sneak and stretched it over the goal line to get the Patriots up 29-28, and all looked happy in Patriot land with 19 seconds left, but the ensuing kickoff was returned by Niger Smith, 70 yards for a touchdown, and with nine seconds left, Hedgesville moved back out in front 35-29. South's last-ditch effort came up short, and it was the Patriots who had a big lead, lost that lead, regained the lead, and then lost in lightning quick succession. They would be going home. Hedgesville will be moving on. They'll face capital this weekend. Of issue in this game, and I've seen this on some online message boards, is the hit on Rice. Was it a clean hit? Was it not a clean hit? What was meant by it? I can only say what I saw on the play. Rice was going near the sidelines. Rice was a defenseless receiver as I saw it. I didn't get a clear enough look to see if it was head-to-head contact. My view was a little bit obscured by the fact that it was the near sideline and things were happening quick. I'm looking through some bodies there. He's going up to make the catch and you've got a defender coming with a full head of steam. He puts a hit on Rice. I'm sure I'm given carte blanche by the Parkersburg South coaching staff. Again, for those of you that aren't familiar, I do the radio broadcast for the Parkersburg South football. I probably have the ability to go back and look at game film of that. I've not done so yet, and I wouldn't rule it out in the future, but I just haven't done that yet. So I'd be interested to see at some point on second viewing what I thought of the hit, but in the moment, it appeared to me to be on a defenseless receiver. It appeared to be a lot more brutal than was needed on the play, but what really bothered me about the play and what sticks with me about the play, even a few days later, is just the attitudes that many of the Hedgesville players had when coming off the field. The flag was thrown for taunting on Harmison, but he was not the only one. Multiple Hedgesville players had their backs turned toward the Hedgesville sideline as they're backpedaling off the field, waving goodbye. One of them even put his head on his hands as if to indicate a go-to-sleep kind of motion. To me, that is a horrible and tasteless thing to do when someone is down with what looks to be a pretty serious injury. 
but it also shows that at the very least, there's some carelessness about the injury and about the consequences of that hit, and it might even hint at some malice involved with the nature in which that hit was delivered. I don't have enough information to know if it was a targeting call because of where the contact occurred, but Rice was definitely a defenseless receiver. But the first thing that bothers me about the play is the fact that multiple people were taunting. And I've had contact this week with Hedgesville head coach Joey Yurish on a couple areas. I think Joey Yurish is a good man, and I don't think that from my interactions with him, he's the type of person that would order his players to do something like that or that would create a culture intentionally of rewarding dirty plays and rewarding hits that were not clean and sportsmanlike and within the rules of the game. But either way, it's happened. A culture has been created there to where in that moment, multiple people looked at that hit and did not immediately think that something could be seriously wrong on that play. It's one thing to celebrate a big play, but it's another to taunt a play that may result in a serious injury for a young man. And again, Levi Rice has had some medical issues going into this week. He's not out of the woods. But either way, a culture has been created to where multiple people thought it okay to celebrate that hit. And I'm not saying that's Joey Urish's fault, and I'm not saying that's any of his assistants' fault. It's hard to tell what caused that, but that's something that Hedgesville needs to address. They need to sit down with their players that they haven't already and say, look, this is a very serious incident. This could cost a young man his future and his health and could have been even worse. But the biggest reason not to taunt a play like that is next week it could be you. Lord willing, it won't be, but it could be you. While football is a serious game, there are consequences that come with it. You must handle that responsibly and you must handle that in a reasonable fashion. It is not something to take lightly and it is not something to gloss over. Another thing that's bothered me is that I did refer to the play on air as dirty. I wish I hadn't done so. Nonetheless, I'm pretty sure I would not have been able to mask to my listeners what I thought of the play. They probably would have been able to find out based on my inflections and based on my tones. They don't need me to decipher that for them. However, I still wish I hadn't said that word, so I apologize to everyone involved. And the other thing that I come back to is the fact that it was the taunting that triggered the ejection and not the hit itself. I'm not sure that the hit was targeting because it was or wasn't head-to-head. I'd have to look at it again to determine that, and it's tough for officials to make that determination in real time. I understand that. But at the very least, that was a defenseless receiver that was hit, which is enough to trigger the targeting call. It was called in the first place, so there's also that. And if that's going to be called, why is that the action that triggers the ejection instead of the taunting? That's the question that I'm left with after this event. Looking at the totality of all that happened on that sequence, it seems to me that the hit itself was the worst thing. I understand you're on a slippery slope and you start making targeting ejections of the high school level. In the pros and in college, you at least have video review to determine whether or not a hit was head-to-head, and that's difficult to determine at the high school level, especially when a suspension is involved. But of all the things that happened there, the blatant and vicious hit on a defenseless receiver seemed to be the worst of the two outcomes. That one stuck with me. I tried to sort it out as best I could, and the officials did come on to clarify that it was the taunt and not the target that drew the ejection, because at first I thought it was the wrong player that was ejected, and then they said it was a taunt, which means it wasn't the player with a hit. That was Niger Smith. So that might have seemed like not a huge deal to those in attendance, but it was a big deal, because that meant that the right player was ejected and that the ejectable action in the eyes of the officials was the taunt. And I think the officials applied the 
rules to the letter of the law there, but it kind of makes you wonder about the nature of the law, if that's the thing that was determined to be the ejectable offense and not the other way around. So I think the officials did their best to work through a situation that's difficult. But the reason I kept bringing it up on the broadcast was that Niger Smith, the player that put the hit on Levi Rice, was the player that returned the go-ahead touchdown. And if you believe that the target should have drawn the ejection and not the taunt, that would make Smith the player that should have been ejected from the game. That's bottom line. That is what brings that into question. Again, this is more me thinking out loud rather than me having all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You know, some of the big questions to consider here. Should a taunt carry a stiffer penalty than a target? What constitutes a target? What would constitute a targeting ejection? And should all ejections necessarily be met with a suspension in football? And I don't know that there's another equivalent in other sports to where there's a penalty now at the higher levels that has led to an automatic ejection that also happens at the lower levels like targeting in football. I don't know that there's anything in any other sport that is the equivalent of this. So if you need to make a special football-specific rule for taunts, then then fine. Even at all sports where you can get away with a taunt, and if you're ejected, say in basketball, you receive two technicals for taunting somebody, maybe you don't have to sit out the next game, then I totally understand that, and you use that as a teachable moment and you move on, or trust that the coaches will move on. I, I don't know if how, how that rule needs to be applied, and I'm not looking for answers. Answers, but I have big questions about why is it that the target was not the thing that drew the stiffest penalty. I had problems with that then, and I have problems with it now. So we'll move on from Parkersburg South. Just an odd, heartbreaking ending to lose in the final play like that after taking what you thought was the lead and what you thought was the win. By the way, great season for Mike Eddy and the Patriots. They finished 7-4, seven, seven wins the most in a season for Mike Eddy. But I think what's going to stick with him is the fact that a defense that was very, very stout through much of the season, and especially through a six-game winning streak, allowed 28 points or more more in two losses to end the season. The last two games, not at all indicative of how well that South defense played for much of the year. And that also leads to the question of why did they collapse the way they did toward the end of the season? Or was it a collapse? Or is it a collapse? Or was it just superior competition? Who knows? Ritchie County had a late lead. They lost that lead. And then Mount View ran up the score late to make things look better. We'll see how that goes for them next week as they face Williamstown. Great season for Rick Hott and the Ritchie County Rebels. They lost 34-13 in a game they led 14-13 well into the fourth quarter. Dave St. Peter did that game on 93R. He told me that Ritchie County had a play on a fourth down, I believe he said, to try to stop Mount View. Mount View converted. They eventually scored on that drive and went for two to go up 21-14, then got the ball back, scored again. Got a turnover, scored again, went for two, and didn't get the two-point conversion. So that 34-13 Mount View win, a window-dressing win over a 14-seed in Ritchie County. We'll see how they do against a six-seed in Williamstown. That While Ritchie County has a good offense... Williamstown, I think, has someone developed weapons on offense, but still a great year for Ritchie County. And Rick Hahn found that running game, found that the cupboard was not bared over there. They still had a lot of players and a lot to give Coach Hahn in his first year. I look for big things out of them next year. Parkersburg Catholic, not really in the game against Sherman and a tough loss, but they're still the mid-Ohio Valley story of the year. Going from 0-8 to 9-1 in your regular season and going on to a first-round playoff game, it's a shame that things went the way they did for them. I saw some pictures from that game, and it was a slop fest, a muddy night in Sherman. I'm not not sure that that wouldn't have benefited Parkersburg Catholic because Ty Sturm and Jeb Boyce can run in the mud just the same as anybody else, and they can perform just as well as anyone else in the mud. But I would like to see Catholic maybe more competitive in that game. But still, the story of the year to go nine and one after zero and eight, and just a really rough season last year. So good for the Crusaders and Tyler Consolidated give a valiant effort in defeat. They lost sixty-one to thirty to Wheeling Central. They just did not have enough speed. They just didn't have the playmakers to compete with Wheeling Central. The talent gap was too large. They didn't roll over though, and you have to give credit to them. And you have to wonder if. In 
In some respects, they didn't create a bit of a blueprint for Magnolia. They used Mark Rucker, their best player, in some different ways. They put him out as a receiver. They tried to get him the ball in space. They ran with him a little bit. And they made Wheeling Central defend him a few different ways. And they most importantly gave him the ball more than anybody else. And they got it to him in different ways. I think if you're going to try to pull an upset, one of the things you need to do is make your best players try to beat their best players, even though their best players are going to be keying in on your best players. So you have to find some ways to get him the ball and be creative with him. And that opened things up for some other players in that, in that Tyler attack. And they, by and large, rose to the occasion. Tyler won the turnover battle. They created the only takeaway of the game. And they managed to put some points up. And that's something that Tyler Consolidated did in all their games this year. In all their losses, they managed to score at least two touchdowns. And, and I want to say four of those losses, they scored at least 20 points. And that held true against Wheeling Central. So those are the teams that are out. Now let's look at those left. PHS wins on a back and forth with Wheeling Park. Keontae Peacock's kick return touchdown halfway through the fourth quarter allowed the Big Reds to beat Wheeling Park. They now head to Martinsburg. And a game that I, I'm going to be honest and say that is a very, very uphill battle for PHS. I have heard some people say... I heard a PHS loyalist say Martinsburg is unbeatable, and they may be. They've played six games, including the playoffs against West Virginia teams. They've allowed just three points. They've not even allowed a touchdown to a West Virginia team. So if PHS can get into the end zone, they'll be the first West Virginia team in what will be seven games now to get into the end zone against Martinsburg. That's uh, a very good PHS season, not what they were expecting, uh, but they also didn't get the health out of Tyler Muller and Bretton Strange that they'd expected. They found some nice weapons, though. Shane Miller with two touchdown runs, now four in his last two games after missing his first four games with injury. It's been a beaten and battered Big Red squad, but if healthy, this was a team that could have been a top four team in the state this season. It's a shame we didn't get to see this team healthy, but uh, they'll head to Martinsburg and they'll give Martinsburg their best effort. I know they will, but their best effort is still going to be against a juggernaut of a Martinsburg team. Magnolia had a nice road win against Pendleton County, and now they get a rematch with Wheeling Central, and at a bit of late-breaking news, that game will not be played at Wheeling Jesuit. Central couldn't host at their normal home field of Wheeling Jesuit University last week because the Mountain East Conference Volleyball Tournament was going on, and this week it'll be the NCAA Regional Volleyball Tournament that will make Wheeling Jesuit University unable to host anything else. So for a second straight week, Wheeling Central is going to host their game at Brook High School. Interesting because last week when Wheeling Central elected to play at Brook, they did so because Wheeling Park was playing at home. This week, there's nothing that's a conflict that I know of at Wheeling Island Stadium. There have been a lot of reports that the two river floods that came up in the last six months at Wheeling Island Stadium have done a number on the turf there, and there's a lot of mud in that turf. I kind of wonder if maybe a cleaning company hasn't been brought in to do what they can to make that turf look, feel, perform a little bit better by the time the Super 6 rolls around, because I think there are a lot of people who have seen that turf in the last month that would like to see the Super 6 played elsewhere because of the shape of that turf. But either way, Magnolia had a nice road win against Pendleton County. They'll have to rematch Wheeling Central. It'll be the second time in three weeks they've defeated Wheeling Central. And you know what? If you can get by them twice in three weeks, then I don't see any stopping Magnolia until a possible trip to Wheeling Island to play on their muddy, contaminated turf. But that's a tall order. Wheeling Central looked powerful, looked strong last week, but by no means did they look perfect. They made some mistakes in that game, so there are areas for Magnolia to exploit if they look at that game film. And I'm sure that if they look at their own game film with them, there are areas that they know to exploit. But that'll be an interesting matchup with Wheeling Central. And Williamstown wins against Summers County. They led 13-12 to and a half, pulled away late for a bigger win. The Yellow Jackets go on the road to face that Mountain View team that ran up the score late on Ritchie County. We'll see if Coach Hot doesn't put a bug in a Terry Smith's ear and let him know what he'd like to see happen with that Mountain View ball club. Depth Chart is the home for Wood County's most in-depth high school sports coverage. Depth Chart goes beyond the game with features that promote the student-athlete throughout the county. The Depth Chart website covers all six Wood County public and private high schools
schools at depthchartwc.com. Founder and journalist Kerry Patrick is experienced and has covered the Valley for more than a decade. To find out more or to check out six or 12-month subscription rates, go online to depthchartwc.com. Like Depth Chart on Facebook or follow on Twitter at depthchartwc. Depth Chart, subscription-based online sports coverage that keeps you in the know about the schools you care about. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Before we take a look at last week's poll question, Doddridge County will now host Cameron at Glenville State College in a game that we played at 7.30 p.m. Friday. Cameron filed a protest against Doddridge County's field, won that protest, and therefore moved the game from Klein-Stansbury Stadium to Glenville State College. The unfortunate thing is that this likely would have been the final game at Klein-Stansbury Stadium. Instead, it looks as if the final game was last week in Doddridge County's opening round win. So Doddridge County moving their game to the artificial surface of Glenville State College, not not sure if you want to put Hunter America on an artificial surface, if that's really going to be all that advantageous to Cameron, but at least they wanted a better playing field for themselves, too. So Cameron Doddridge County now at Glenville State College at 7.30 Friday. This week's poll question asks you which lower seed has the best chance to pull around one upset and why. We asked you, and uh, the, here's what you said. Craig Dutton picked out Parkersburg Catholic, Magnolia, and PHS. Craig said the Catholics' running game might be enough to slow Sherman down. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Craig liked Magnolia, and I did, too. They moved on, and Craig also liked PHS. PHS came away on Wheeling Island Stadium and uh, came away with a big win there. And I thought PHS had just as good a chance as anybody to do it as a ninth seed. Keontae Peacock with a go-ahead touchdown there late. It was a back-and-forth ball game, and you know, those are two schools that uh, provided two really fun games. One, a shootout in the regular season, one, a back-and-forth playoff struggle. The lead switched hands a few times in the second half. So, uh, Craig, good call on two of those three. Craig also mentioned Richie and Tyler Consolidated. And to be honest, it was Richie County that if I had answered this poll, I think that's what I would have said because I thought Mount View was untested as a number three seed. I thought Ritchie County had a lot of speed and that moving that running game to a turf field and a clean surface would do them just as much good as Mount View. And it was going to come down to whether or not their defense showed up. And their defense showed up enough until Mount View pulled away in the fourth quarter. Craig Mullen talked about that game and said that Ritchie's uh, chance of slowing down Mount View uh, might be hindered because of the turf, saying that the ground and pound has proven effective on grass in nine games, but he had some bad memories from that Parkersburg Catholic game and, and how their speed proved vital in their win against Ritchie County. Like I said, I really think that uh, it did just as much to speed Ritchie County up because that offense is much more developed than it was against Parkersburg Catholic in the second or third week of the season. I can't remember when those two teams played. It was very early in the season. Ritchie County's offense has come a long way from where it was at the beginning of the season. They've become a multifaceted attack. They're a pretty good running attack at the beginning of the season. Now they're a strong running team and they've got a pass game that is competitive with a lot of others in Class A. So I look for big things out of the Rebels next year and I think this year Rebels almost came away with a big win at Mount View. My good friend Michael Wolf says Point Pleasant isn't lower, but they have the potential to do some damage. And you know what? I kind of like pointing out that Point Pleasant Mingo Central. They're an 8 seed. They played a really fun back and forth game against Mingo Central. The final there was Point Pleasant 65, Mingo Central 36. But looking at that game on Saturday, as the one I was calling was going on, that one was back and forth for a lot of the day before Point Pleasant pulled away late. If I had to pick a game that I could have attended as a fan, that would have been in my top three last week, probably with PHS Wheeling Park probably being number one, aside from the one that I called, by the way. I would say Mingo Central Point Pleasant would have been the one that I would have been most looking forward to as a fan, uh, but Point ran away with that one. So, good call on Point Pleasant. Craig Mullen again says that Magnolia, he liked that as an upset, uh, even though they were just a nine seed. Yeah, I thought Magnolia had a strong chance, and hey, if they go up and knock off Wheeling Central at Brook, then beating Wheeling Central two out of three weeks, you can do just about anything
thing in the state, and they would have just as good of a chance as anybody else, in my opinion. Looking at the teams that are left, PHS is going to have a tough test ahead of them as they go to Martinsburg. Not saying it can't be done, but they've got their hands full, no doubt about it. Magnolia with Wheeling Central, I certainly think Tyler Consolidated at least showed that it can be done, that you can make inroads against this Wheeling Central team. Uh, They scored more against Wheeling Central than any opponent in some time. It'll be an uphill battle for Magnolia, but it's one that they could definitely prevail, one that they could definitely win. And how about Williamstown and Mountain View? I really think Mountain View might get exposed this week because... They trailed that game 14-13 late in the fourth quarter last week before running away with it late and putting up 21 points in the fourth quarter. And I think Williamstown uh, has a good running game and a better passing game than Richie County, to be quite honest. Uh, and they just have more experience and they're more well-rounded. They do what Richie County does well. They just do it a good deal better because of that experience. Williamstown's defense is also better at creating the takeaway. It's an art to creating the takeaway. It's not just one of those things that happens accidentally. You fall in a loose ball. You've really got got to be a ball hawk in that secondary to be able to take away uh, interceptions and be able to sniff out uh, vulnerable pass routes where they are and uh, to come into tackles mindful of that strip, the strip sack if you're into the backfield. So definitely I think um, Williamstown's defense is going to be a little bit strong for Mountain View to handle. Before we go, a couple announcements to make related to the high school football podcast. Our broadcast season on Seven Rangers Radio is complete. All the teams that we have rights to air their games have finished their seasons. Kind of rare for us to be complete after the first round of the playoffs. Uh, St. Mary's alone has gone to the semifinals or beyond in each of the last four years. And then beyond that, you'd have to look. It's rare that no one in our company is doing games after Thanksgiving. Uh, Usually it seems like we have somebody uh, at least doing a game after Thanksgiving that weekend after Thanksgiving, but not the case this year. Uh, Proud of our teams and how they've done, and and we thank those schools for letting us cover them, but I have some thank yous that I want to get out there, and I have no idea if any of these people are listening, but just just to say it, uh, Kerry Patrick and John Mike Nichols, Kerry Patrick of DepthChartWC.com, are coming on Countdown to Kickoff every week. John Mike Nichols of Light Rock 93 are the same. My crew on V96.9, Garrett Furr, Randy Kinsolving, Josh Hughes, those guys do a tremendous job, and they're fun to work with. I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank our sponsors for making it all possible. I want to thank the parents, the fans, the coaches, the administrators, but most of all, the student-athletes for being accessible and for letting us into a part of your life. I see so many student-athletes, and I don't get to meet as many as I'd like. It's neat just to see you know, from locker room to locker room how the tone changes, how one team's vibe is different from another team's, but then there's some that you can tell it's it's a more fun, friendly vibe. So, some it's more, they look at you a little differently when you walk in because you're, you're not of them, but either way, this area is blessed with a lot of great kids and a lot of great people in programs. And, and, and not only that, but a lot of great people to run those programs. So thank you to all the parents, coaches, fans, administrators, everybody that lets us interact with your student-athletes and work with them and cover them. Uh, it is a privilege to be able to uh, work around kids. Games of the Week this week, looking at the sem- uh, the quarterfinal round, Williamstown and Mountain View, I think is going to be a fun one to watch because of all the speed on the field and the, the talent there. Magnolia Wheeling Central, we'll see what Magnolia's got up their sleeve for Wheeling Central the second time around. Looking for some fun games the second weekend. How about that Fairmont Senior Point Pleasant game? Fairmont Senior is the defending class AA state champion, but Point Pleasant can score points in bunches, and they'll be a really strong test for the Fairmont Senior defense. RCB Bridgeport, a North Central West Virginia rivalry that's happening in the quarterfinals. And again, Cameron and Doddridge County in a matchup that has again been moved to Gilmer County's Glenville State College. Those are schools that have had a tough time convincing people that they belong where they are or they are where they belong. Uh, Doddridge 
Orange County is unbeaten. I believe Cameron's unbeaten, too. That's a 4-5 matchup. So both of those schools have something to prove. And one of them is going to make it to the semifinals. So Doddridge and Cameron, if you're looking around the state or region, that one's going to be a big one, too. Our poll this week, is it better to get into the playoffs as a low seed, talking about a 15 or 16, or to not get in at all? That's, I know, similar. It's better to have loved and lost than to never loved at all. This is the playoff equivalent of that. Is it better to get in as a low seed, a 15 or a 16, or not at all? Remember, sometimes teams that get in as a low seed get in because they were projected to go higher and they've struggled with injuries. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes it's best for you if your team just ends their season because you're just outmanned, outgunned, and are too beat up to be playing competitive games, especially against a one or two seed. And then there's also been teams that know they're going to get their clock cleaned in the first round. I've had coaches tell me that barely feels like you've even been in versus not at all to where you're handing in your pads the Monday after week 11. So there's two ways to look at it. And there are right answers and wrong answers to both as I see it. And I think it depends on the situation. That's just my opinion. I'll share more about it next week. Don't forget you can download us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes as well. We're on SoundCloud also. Find us there. Uh, This podcast, we talked about the future of the show here, will continue until the week after the Super 6. I haven't put that out there really anywhere. I wanted to mention that you'll be able to find the Eric Little High School Football Podcast every week until the week following the Super 6. We'll do a roundup. I may even throw some awards out there. I I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But either way, this show will run during the course of the year, regardless of how many teams from the Mid-Ohio Valley, of course, it's the area I cover. Uh, We do talk about some other teams around the state. But this show will run every week until the Wednesday after the Super 6. So you'll have us there, and we appreciate the time. We appreciate you listening every week. Thank you for joining us. My name is Eric Little. Until next week, have a great week and enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening.